Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be covering some stuff that doesn't have to do with religion per se, but it has everything to do with the suicide of the United States of America and the West. In 2013, my wife and I moved out to Utah from upstate New Hampshire. And we lived in Spanish Fork, Utah from 2013 to 2016. In 2016, Heavenly Father commanded me to move my family to Emory County, Utah, that this would be a gathering place and that the time would come when we would have to move northwest of Lake Powell to an area that he would show me at a future date. Well, we moved down to Orangeville, Utah, and I got a job driving belly dumps. And every day, as I was driving away from my work, I'd, I would uh, get to an area where I could actually call my wife and I'd call her, you know, when I was headed home. And she'd say, where are you at? And I'd say, I'm driving past our house. And we said that for, I don't even know how long. Had no idea who owned it. The house that we live in now is the house that I kept telling her we're driving past our house. The people that lived here before, um, the husband was remodeling this house for his wife. He built this house back in the 70s. He built this house. But as he was remodeling this house, he had a stroke. And I think it was a couple months later he died. And his widow, she packed up and she left. And this house sat empty for three years. Well, one day we were driving past the house, my wife and I. And we saw people in the driveway, so we pulled in and we said, hey, we're interested in possibly doing a lease purchase with with you guys for your house. And they agreed to it. A couple months later, all the contracts were signed up. We put a pretty decent sized down payment on the house and commenced with, uh, you know, doing a lease purchase. And two and a half years ago is when we started living here in November of 2019. And we're getting really close to closing on the house. We have 10 acres, 26 shares of water, no equipment to farm the land, but we're working on all of that stuff.
But Heavenly Father has set us up in this location with 26 shares of water, and we want to grow food for food, for food storage. We've already uh, started raising goats, and we have 12 goats. And, you know, I don't know how long it's going to be before it gets too dangerous to remain in this location, but Heavenly Father told me that I will know the right time. And he's given me the location where to go when everything falls apart, and it will be a place of safety and refuge. Well, something happened yesterday that seems like it's probably going to escalate the situation in the United States where because of what happened in the 1970s where we went off the gold reserve, the gold standard, and based our money in oil, um, well, it's a commodities thing. And anyway, so um, this whole war in Russia and Ukraine is really messed up, and I've been following it really closely. But one of the problems is these green New Deal leftists have gotten in charge of the Western governments, and they're trying to, like, get away from the petrol, which is fine, I guess, but what's going on in Europe is a lot of Europe's natural gas for heating their homes and for electricity comes from Russia. And since uh, Russia decided to attack Ukraine because of some stuff with the Minsk Accords and the fact that Ukraine uh, built a dam which was holding back water from the agricultural area of Russia and they needed that water and there's a whole bunch of other stuff behind the scenes. Like there's a ton of propaganda, you know, that the West is, is doing towards Ukraine and towards Russia, but there's reasons why uh, Putin is doing what he's doing with the Russian military. Well, the the West has placed heavy sanctions on Russia. So Russia, the other day, two days ago, I think it was, they told Europe that in order to buy their natural gas, which Europe has to have, that they will not accept anything but rubles, which has placed the ruble as a commodity's backing and given it a really firm foundation, which is probably going to replace the the U.S. dollar as the uh, world's uh, currency reserve that with increased inflation and all the other stuff we're looking at a very very sharp downturn in the value of the dollar and uh, I hope that this guy that I'm going to let you listen to is wrong 
I, uh, when I was an oil field worker, I actually lived in a motorhome for a year from uh, December of 2009 to December of 2000, and, well, no, it was December of 2008 to de- uh, December of 2009. And I didn't have power, like I used propane to heat. Um, and I had a generator and whatnot, but I hate camping, even within just the whole motorhome thing, and I don't want any of this to happen, but I do want Zion to be born. In Isaiah 35, it says that Zion will be born in the wilderness, and it talks about the remnant of God going into the highways of the top of the mountains, and Zion being born in the desert places. And I know that we live in those days that Isaiah saw. I know it. I just, uh, I kind of wish I could drag it out because I I like the comforts of living in this home. Um, I've moved so much in my life. I'm so sick and tired of moving. I just want, I want to retire here. I would like to die as an old man in this house. But I don't, I don't believe that's going to be my fate. And I think that there's some things going on right now behind the scenes that people need to understand. So I'm going to play something from Gonzalo Lira, and I'll put the links to it in this podcast. You can find him on YouTube. I guarantee, like, you should listen to what he has to say. He lives in Ukraine. He, I think he was born in Argentina or Chile. He's lived in the United States and England and Europe, uh, different places in Europe. But he's lived in the U- UK, uh, U- Ukraine for quite a while. And he is seeing what the Western media is saying is happening and what is actually really happening. And I think that his uh, opinions and insights are valuable. Now, I'm not offended by him because I can't stand it when people, like, think that uh, swearing, like cuss words, are a sin. I believe that's a man-made custom and tradition. And it's kind of like what the Jews did. They're like, well, God said you can't do this. And then, like, you don't find it anywhere in God's law. Or it's really taken out of context, you know. But this guy is offensive. He says the F word and uh, all kinds of stuff. And uh, I don't know. I just, but I think that he explains things very well. And I want to share it with my listening audience. So... I'm not going to give too much of a preview beyond that, but just realize that this is explicit language as we go forward. It's about mm, not quite two hours long, and it's in two parts. So I'm just going to play the the video, uh, the audio recording of it. Uh, Well, I'm going to record the audio of it. Obviously, you can't see the video, but it's just him talking on camera. He's not showing any 
anything. He's just talking. And uh, like I said, he's in Kirkov. He was in Kiev. Um, but some of the stuff that he was saying on his other channel, uh, Red Pill something, or Red Pill Coach, or Coach Red Pill, I think is what it is. Anyway, um, Russia Today picked up and edited what he was saying because he's really smart and they played it in Russia and the uh, Zelensky Ukraine government actually went to uh, well, I don't know how he puts it unperson him (laughs) and luckily he was standing there when the thugs went up to where he lived and one of the native Ukrainian women who knew him basically stopped him so they didn't see him um but he saw them and they were like going in to kill him and so he took off out of uh, Kiev and went to another place uh, where one of his friends who had fled Ukraine uh, had a home and uh, they don't know where he is and he's basically in hiding but uh, he's able to uh, upload these videos on the internet that still works in Ukraine uh, to, and he shows videos of like Ukraine and stuff, like where he's at and all this stuff. Anyway, but um, he's been able to get these messages out of of the war zone, and he just talks about his experiences there, and he's like what he is researching and finding out. And I think that his opinion is pretty dang close to spot on. So I wanted to share it with you. Um, I was just listening to it last night as I was driving. So I'm going to record it now and uh, I'll turn off this music and we'll just listen to this man. So like I said, if you have a problem with the swears, then... I hope you'll get over that because you probably really do need to listen to what he has to say. Here we go. This is Gonzalo Lira, otherwise known as CRP. And this is uh, just like a stream called uh, The United States is Committing Suicide. And it's, uh, what, Wednesday, March 23rd, I believe, 2022. Yeah, it's going to be exactly a month since the uh, invasion. Oh, yeah. This is this is some of the most exciting times of our lives. I mean, we, we should we should keep that in mind. This truly is a world is ending, and it has already gone. It's behind us, and I think, in a very real sense, the the COVID pandemic was sort of like a pause, and now we're starting this new world, this new reality, this new paradigm, geopolitically socially and culturally everything this is the moment and it might end in nuclear oblivion <laughs> i hope not but um i think it might turn turn out for the best for everyone involved and before anything let me let me just uh let me just uh hit hit you all well nobody's saying anything so i'm assuming that the sound and the video quality is okay hit me with uh, where is tiffany dover if you all can see and hear me properly that would be great and how many people are in the house uh, 1500 wow that's very impressive. Thank you very much for attending. Hit me with a, where is Tiffany Dover? If you can hear me and see me properly. Hmm? I'll wait for chat to catch up. 
Ghost of Chile. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. If you're German like me, it's I and it's gone. A heart. Thank you. But where is Tiffany Dover? There, I see some. Where is Tiffany Dover? Where and some three three threes. Time for communism has come. Yeah, sure, right, commie. Yeah, up against the wall. Yeah, that's what I say to all you commies. Anyway, um, no, seriously, uh, kidding aside. And of course, I was joking. You know, I'd never waste bullets on a commie. I'd just throw them from a helicopter, like gentlemen do. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm in a good mood. I don't know quite why, but I am. I'm in a in a damn good mood, to tell you the truth. Um, even though I'm going to be talking about something kind of horrible, which is the collapse of uh, Western civilization, it's not the collapse. It's it's the shifting. You know. I mean, we, we have to face some facts here that um, uh, Europe and America, North America and Australia and New Zealand, they're all decadent and pathetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, Leah Thomas, anyone? Leah Thomas or Thompson? Uh, Leah Thomas, who won the, I mean, won, <laughs> you know, the, the, um, the national championship in swimming? What kind of decadence and generosity? A Supreme Court nominee who can't define what a woman is? <laughs> oh, man. Come on. Come on. The decadence and degeneracy. Mm-hmm. Where, they, where they're grooming children to turn them into catamites and sex toys. Come on. It's, it's, you know, it's over. It's, it's over for the West. And we, um, today, as a matter of fact, it's really funny because I decided to do this stream bright and early in the morning. And I posted it and ready to roll. And then later today came an announcement from Vladimir Putin. One of the most important announcements that has been put out there by any major leader since. I mean, this is major. It seems so trivial. And a lot of you are not going to understand the significance. And I'm going to explain it to you. Okay. And the announcement he put out was that from here on out, uh, Gazprom, the. Um, oil giant, that uh, national oil giant that distributes natural gas and other petroleum products to uh, Europe, will require all payments to be made in rubles, not euros, not dollars, rubles. Mm -hmm. And this is world historical. It's the end of the United States economic preeminence around the world. Okay, you have to understand it. And I'm going to explain why in this in this broadcast. It's going to be long because it's a complicated topic, okay? But you you have to understand what is going on. And if you're American, by the end of the year, you're going to have 25 to 35 percent inflation rate. And by the end of 2023, uh, a dollar isn't going to be worth a nickel. I'm not kidding. Your actual coins, your nickels and dimes and quarters that you put in a coffee, in a coffee can because, you know, they jingle in your pocket and every every evening you come home. I mean, this is what I do, actually. And you just drop them in the in the little coffee can. Right. Those are actually those coins are going to be worth more than their face value. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 By the end of 2023. Yeah. And by the end of this year, you know, you're going to feel it. And uh, in Europe and in the United States and in the United States, man, I can't believe it, which is a food exporter, net food exporter. You're going to go hungry. Yeah, you are going to go hungry. 
the United States is committing suicide. And uh, it's about to embark on a war with China. You, you don't see it yet, but it's there. It's, it, it's already happening, okay? And so uh, it's, a, it's a complicated topic, okay? And so let me get into it. See, it all started with Iran in 1979, okay? In January of 1979, the uh, Shah of Iran was overthrown by uh, Islamic Revolution. And uh, during the revolution, the oil flow was cut from Iran to the rest of the world. And this caused a major um, oil crisis. Our oil prices shot the moon. I mean, I remember I was 11 years old at the time. I hadn't turned quite 11 when the revolution happened. And I remember in 79, you know, my parents um, driving the, the cars bright and early in the morning to the gas stations to buy gas because everybody was panicking and stuff, right? Okay. so. The United States and Iran have had a horrible relationship, and it's just bad karma all around. The United States has fucked over Iran multiple times, and the Brits too. But Iran, I mean, uh, America is really to blame. And the Iranians hate America for shit that goes way back. It's a long history lesson, but justifiably. Okay. They overthrew a, a fairly decent president that the Iranians had through a CIA-backed coup and all kinds of shenanigans, you know. Uh, they supported the Shah of Iran, who was, you know, a megalomaniacal tyrant and, you know, just a petty little man. And, you know, they did all kinds of, the Americans did all kinds of shit. And so, anyway, the oil crisis happened. And uh, the United States went to economic war with Iran. Okay. And imposed sanctions. And what happens is, what are sanctions? Sanctions are economic warfare. And that's what they basically are. And Iran was the first country that faced the, the, the full brunt of American sanctions. And Iran, though it's a big country and fairly wealthy in many regards, those sanctions hurt over the years, the decades. There have been various sanctions. I mean, I have no idea how many. This is the ongoing process of, you know, the Americans abusing the Iranians. And of course, you see, when you um, sanction a country, when you prohibit or, or, or don't allow that country free trade with the rest of the world. And you essentially prohibit American companies from trading with that country and, and America's allies from trading with that country. You only hurt the people, okay? And this, this is something that people who are constantly talking about sanctions, you know, they, they don't understand this. You only hurt the people and the people realize this. The people aren't stupid. Hmm? I mean, they might be slow on the uptake, but once they get it, they understand what's really going on. And see, sanctions of the Iranian people, it didn't hurt the mullahs, the, 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 the religious leaders. On top of that, the religious leaders leave, many, most of them, as I understand it, lead more uh, fairly aesthetic, uh, aesthetic lives. I mean, with, with very few uh, luxuries and whatnot. I mean, the, the material realm and their, their religiousness and all this stuff, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not their, it's not that big of a deal to them personally, right? It hurts the Iranian people. And the whole point is that the sanctions will hurt the Iranian people and the, the people will react against their own leaders. But that never, never happens. It has never happened. Whenever you put sanctions on a country, the people realize that the United States is hurting the people, not the leaders, the people. And they get pissed off, not at the leaders, but at the Americans. 
See, that, that's the key issue. You've got to understand this. If you understand anything at all about the situation, okay, you have to understand that no people every, ever, anywhere have ever blamed their own leaders for the sanctions. They always blame the United States. And on top of that, see, sanctions, I mean, the, the rationale of sanctions is you hurt the people and it will encourage them to pressure their government and potentially change their government. But if the government is supposed to be so repressive, then they're not going to give a shit about the will of the people. Now, will they? Hmm? Of course not. And so you can repress the people. I mean, you can hurt the people however much you want with re- with sanctions. But if it's a repressive regime, like in Venezuela, it's not going to fucking change the leadership because the people are, are already re- being repressed. If you hurt them more with economic sanctions, they're not going to be able to do anything. So w- why are you doing these economic sanctions? Well, you're doing economic sanctions to, to you know, appear to be tough. That's why you're doing them, right? <laughs> so economic sanctions work like a charm in certain countries like Iran, which is a major regional power, but it's not a top tier power, not like Russia or China or Japan or the US or the EU. It's a second tier, perhaps even a third tier country. And I don't mean any disrespect to any country when I say that they're first tier or second tier or third or fourth tier. I mean, I come from a third tier country, okay? Chile is third tier at best, okay? So it's not, you know, I'm trying to be as realistic as possible. Okay, just just to clear that, put that out there. Okay, so the Iranians, they suffer these sanctions, right? They were the first country to receive these sanctions. All kinds of stupid ass sanctions. Jimmy Carter did it, and then then Ronald Reagan, and now all the subsequent governments. And then you know there was sanctions against Iraq. Now Iraq, there were sanctions against Iraq. That's a that was a good one. That really hurt the people. And didn't it didn't hurt Saddam Hussein one bit? The thing that hurt Saddam Hussein was that when they invaded his fucking country twice, right? That hurt him, right? Um, actually, it was only the second time that really hurt him because the first time that they that the Americans came in and kicked him out of Kuwait, but kept him in power. The fact that he remained in power after the first Gulf War in '91 signaled to the rest of the Arab world that, you know, Saddam Hussein was somebody to be reckoned with. You know, the Americans were not able to overthrow him. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, they imposed sanctions on Iraq and they also imposed a no-fly zone. It was the first time a no-fly zone had been imposed anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the idea was you impose a no-fly zone and the original rationale, if I recall correctly, was so that the uh, Saddam Hussein regime would not use its air force to bomb the Kurds, the Kurdish minority. I don't remember why the Kurds were so important. The Kurds are always around, you know, and they're always like, you know, they should have their own country. But anyway, um, and so the sanctions there. And then later there were sanctions on, I think there were sanctions on Afghanistan, although I can't 100% count on it, but there was something else that happened with Afghanistan that I'll get to in just a minute. They sanctioned uh, Venezuela. You know, and, uh, you know, sanctions are always this, this, this like this like club that, that you beat the beat the country that you don't like with. Right. And it seems painless. But of course, it hurts the people of that country. Right. And so finally, we have, you know, the Russians, they do this special military operation in Ukraine, special military operation or they invade it, you know, potato, potato. And the United States, well, 
from before, from 2014, they imposed these sanctions on Russia. And they imposed these sanctions and little by little. And it was uh, my friend Alexander Mercurius over at the Duran calls it the sanction escalator that slowly goes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, they sanctioned a few oligarchs here and there, and they, and they sanctioned Putin and his inner circle and stuff, uh, you know, prohibiting from traveling or, or their property, all kinds of bullshit, right? And that was in 2014 when the Russians took over Crimea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Russians kind of like ignored it, but it did hurt them, okay? It did hurt them badly. And, and the ruble took a big hit. And I mean, it, it was enough to destabilize the Russian economy. But what the Russians did after that, I, I shouldn't have said that it would, that they ignored it. That was, I misspoke. They didn't ignore it. They took it very seriously. And some of these sanctions hurt them pretty badly at the time. But what happened was that the Russian central bank, and obviously at the direction of the Kremlin, uh, made a very astute move. They decided to float the ruble that they would not, the state, the Russian state, would not try to support the ruble. And the ruble took a big hit, but then it recovered, okay? And it was pretty stable after that. And slowly over the years from 2014, the Russians basically started to defend their economy, slowly building up defenses against any further sanctions. Because the Russians... The Russians, you know, they have a lot of flaws like we all do, but they do not have the flaw of stupidity and they do not have the flaw of of uh, short termism. They look at things in the long term and they are smart enough to realize if we're getting sanctions now, we better prepare for worse sanctions later on. And they did very carefully, very quietly, yet aggressively. They prepared their economy and the different sectors to withstand sanctions. Sanctions being, you know, not being allowed to buy certain technologies, sanctions in the sense of not being able to uh, um, acquire necessary materials for different industries that they might have. Sanctions in in terms of being prepared in case uh, they weren't allowed to borrow money on the international markets and so forth. I mean, different, uh, different preparations that were very wise, very astute. And like I said, the biggest one was to float the ruble, okay, to let it let it find its level. Even if it hurt in the short term, the rationale clearly, we can see retrospectively, the rationale at the time was, even if we take a short term hit in 2014 and 15, in the long run, you know, the next 5, 10, 20 years, it'll be good to have a floating ruble. And it fucking is. Okay, and I'll get to why in just a second. Now, so the world economy trundles along 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, COVID, right? Now, what's happened to the Russian economy during this time? Well, they are, there's this odious uh, meme going around that Russia is basically a, uh, a gas station with nukes. It's funny for a tweet, right? I, it's ascribed, the, the crack is ascribed to John McCain. But Russia is not a gas station with nukes. First of all, it's a supermarket with a gas station with nukes, if you want to put it in those terms, because they produce all kinds of food. Okay, it's very important. And I'll get to the numbers insofar as the food is concerned in just a little bit. They produce all kinds of food that they, of course, export. They produce all kinds of um, raw materials, aluminum, nickel, all kinds of stuff that's really necessary in different industries. 
Uh, and of course, natural gas, which is essential for the European economy, because the European economy has been turning away from coal and nuclear energy, which it, which it depended on previously for its relative energy independence. It's been shutting down its coal plants, shutting down its nuclear power stations, and turning to natural gas. Because the idea is that eventually European energy will be all green with wind power and solar panel power. And I know that industry uh, rather well. And I can tell you that's just stupid, especially in Germany, because Germany is not Southern California. It's not Spain. Okay, The sun doesn't shine uh, you know, 365 days of the year. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, if I had to guess, I'd say maybe 40% of the days are sunny enough to run energy from a, a, a solar panel uh, installation, right? And insofar as wind, something similar is going on, okay? So these fucking Germans, man, fucking morons, okay? There's the rumor that the Greens, who are the ones really, really pushing to shut down the nuclear energy uh, power stations, that the Greens were financed by the Russians. I wouldn't put it past them. Like I said, the Russians are clever people. You know, and if they realize a cost effective way to get people to buy their natural gas, i.e. throwing a few hundred thousand euros, maybe a couple of million a year at the Green Party and getting the Green Party to protest against nuclear power and demand Russian natural gas. I wouldn't put it past the Russians to have done so. It would be I mean, it's something I would have done, you know, for <laughs> making any bones about it. You know what the hell? Why not? Um, oh, let me just check to see how many people are watching this goddamn thing. Oh, almost 6,000 people. Yeah, you guys are, you, you obviously are like guys who aren't working and don't have anything to do, man. I mean, you're listening to no fart like me. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So the Europeans pivot away from nuclear and they turn towards Russian natural gas, which is just like, you're like, okay, fine. You know, you are energy independent with your coal and your nuclear and you shut down the coal and nuclear so you can become dependent on Russian natural gas. Okay, fine. Have it your way. You know, whether or not the Russians finance the Green parties, we'll never know. Okay, or maybe we will someday, but it'll be way later when it doesn't matter anymore. But the point, see, right now in 2022, Europe... Um, 40% of its energy needs come from Russian natural gas. They need that fucking gas. They need it for two things, to generate electricity and to generate heat during the winter. Okay. They need that gas. They need it like a junkie needs a hit of heroin from his dealer. Okay. And they will have rolling blackouts and they will, um, go cold if they don't have that Russian natural gas. Okay. Now. These natural gas contracts, okay, they're long-term. And, and there's an issue of it, and I'll, I'll do a little parenthesis and explain it real quick so you understand what's going on. See, back in around 2008 or so, what happened was that um, the spot prices of natural gas were way lower than the long-term contracts. The long-term contracts of natural gas, they're fairly complicated. They're usually, the price is usually tied to oil, and there are different calculations as to the price of the natural gas, okay? For purposes of this conversation, it doesn't really matter. The, the, the point is that there are long-term contracts and spot contracts. And what's spot contracts? Well, you just show up at the market for the commodity and you just buy whatever's available at whatever price the market will bear. Okay. 
And so usually, you know, uh, liquid natural gas, I mean, um, uh, natural gas goes for, uh, it used to go for about, you know, between 600 and 800 do um, dollars, the thousand cubic meters. Okay. Um, I have no idea why they price it in thousand cubic meters, but that's the way they do it. Anyway, the point is that the rush, the, the, um, the various countries of Europe didn't like the fact that the spot prices were so much lower than the long-term contracts, right? And, and I, I've never understood this rationale that, but what they decided to do is pivot out of the long-term contracts and into short-term contracts, spot market con contracts. And this caused a squeeze when, of course, when you have a lot of people who decide to get out of long-term contracts, where, of course, the long-term contract guarantees supply of natural gas, right? And they pivoted away, and a lot of people all of a sudden pop up at the spot market to buy. Well, what's going to happen? Well, the obvious. The spot market price goes through the roof, and everybody's like saying, why didn't we get, like, long-term contracts? You're, fucking morons anyway so because of this there's been like all kinds of topsy-turviness insofar as the energy markets are concerned in europe over the last two three years mm -hmm. and this has affected the uk for instance where a lot of energy electric energy uh suppliers they have a ceiling to how much they can charge their consumers but of course if the natural gas prices go up too high all of a sudden their cost to generate the electricity is greater than the amount of money they are getting from the consumers because the British, you know, who have a license for fucking everything, you know, have a limit to how much these electric companies can charge consumers. And so if, it, if it's above, the cost is above what you're paying, you're, what, you're, uh, what you're charging people, you're going to go bankrupt, and which has happened in the UK, okay? I mean, this is just economic mismanagement on the part of the EU. They, they should have been smarter about it, okay? And of course, the, the principal thing that they never should have done is shut down their nuclear reactors. Okay, the coal thing is understandable. Okay, you know, you burn coal, and you know, ooh, you know, the black smoke comes out. Oh my God, it's going to kill me. You know, it's going to kill the little baby seals. You know, Greta Thunberg is going to get mad at me. And so, these fucking idiots went ahead and shut down their coal. Fine, but the nuclear. Nuclear doesn't do anything, and especially German nuclear. I mean, they're German for crying out loud. They're, they ain't going to have any goddamn accident. And on top of that, in continental Europe, not Italy, but in continental Europe, Germany, there are no earthquakes. So you're going to be perfectly fine. But they shut down their nuclear power station. Like I said, 40% of their energy needs comes from Russia. Okay? you got to have that background first. Now... Uh, 20, 2020 rolls around. We got COVID and all this good shit, right? And um, you know, and then you know, all this this uh, workup over Ukraine and all the rest of it. And I'll do another program because it's it's becoming increasingly clear that um, the evidence is arriving, coming out everywhere that the Ukraines, the Ukraine armed forces, were about to invade the Donbass when the Russians uh, attacked. And basically, the Russians beat them to the punch. That's basically this war, what it's about. It would have happened anyway. Okay? But anyway. The point is that the, the Europeans got themselves into a pickle over energy, and they started building the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And for reasons that are truly unclear, the Americans did not want Nord Stream 2 to ever really work. And they did everything in their power to prevent it from working. 
okay? Nord Stream 2 was just, a, um, there was obviously a Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which had gas flowing from northern uh, Russia straight to northern Germany, which was a sh the shortest route, and it cut out Ukraine. Uh, the second pipeline would have completely cut out Ukraine, you know, and the Americans were very against it. The Biden administration was very against it. And, and we can speculate as to why they were so against it, because it didn't make any kind of logical sense. OK, I personally have some fairly dark ideas as to why they were so opposed to it, but it doesn't matter at this point. The point is that they were opposed to it. All kinds of diplomatic crap was going on and all the rest of it. So the war happens. The Russians invade on the uh, 24th of February, right? They invade. And the United States and Europe automatically go on the sanctions rampage. Mm -hmm. They go completely ballistic on this. Now, let me go back a little bit. Um, when the United States invaded Afghanistan, it sequestered, as is known, that's the proper legal term, it sequestered uh, Afghanistan's uh, foreign currency deposits, specifically its dollar reserves and gold reserves that it had on deposit in the U.S. Federal Reserve. Now, you do keep in mind the Federal Reserve in the United States is a bank. Mm -hmm. And other countries park their money at the Fed, okay? They park their dollar reserves, of course, because the Federal Reserve is the uh, central bank of the United States. It carries dollars. Its assets are dollar assets. And of course, it also stores gold for a fee, which is normal everywhere. And um, and for for purposes of swapping the gold this way and that, you know, it, it just keeps everybody's gold or a lot of different customers gold. And they can swap it between themselves and the gold physically doesn't go anywhere. It's just an accounting issue of like, okay, this ingot of gold is no longer belongs to Argentina, now belongs to Zambia. You know, I mean, things like that, right? So the Afghanistans, the Afghanistan, uh, the Afghanis rather, had their gold and dollar reserves at the central, at the, at the US Federal Reserve. And at the start of the 2001 invasion, they sequestered that gold. And long story short, over the years, they basically stole that gold. You know, it's not just that they sequestered it, which is to hold it back. No, they already confiscated it. And the United States got the UK, the Bank of England, to essentially steal uh, Venezuela's gold, okay? Which is like 26 billion, if I recall correctly. Some figure like that it was a lot of money. And, uh, you know, the US Federal Reserve essentially stole Afghanistan's gold, you know? And way back when, um, the United States had sequestered Iran's foreign currency reserves, you know, back in 79 during the revolution. But then with the um, uh, um, joint proposal, you know, the JPOC, right, the, 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 the Iran deal, the Obama administration released that money and, and they, they flew it back to Iran because the Iranians didn't want to keep it with the Americans ever again. Of course not, because, you know, they, they'd had it there for like, what was it, 79, and they got it back in like 2012. So it was like, what, 32 years, 33 years that they didn't see that money and that gold, right? They wanted it back and they got it back and they never deposited it again with the Americans. But, you know, these countries, these, these examples, you know, Afghanistan, Iran, Venezuela, they were considered, well, you know, they're, they're kind of like small countries. But with the sanctions package that happened after the start of um, 
Russia's uh, military operations in Ukraine, and I'm just going to call it an invasion because that's what it was. It's an invasion. It's it's. I understand why the Russians want to call it a special military operation, but it's an invasion. Let's not pretend otherwise. It's not a war, but it is an invasion. Okay. And so anyway, the uh, the Russians when they started their invasion, the Americans hit them with all kinds of sanctions, and the Russians were prepared for it. What they weren't prepared was for the Americans to steal $300 billion that belongs to the Russians. They weren't prepared for that. And that's what the Americans did. And don't give me bullshit that it's legal and this and that. No, no, they stole it. Okay? And in fact, the Russians view it as an American default. That, that, and, and they're actually, technically, they are correct. And I'll explain why. You see, the Russians, um, part of their preparation for, for possible future sanctions that they started in 2014 is that they started to build up huge foreign currency positions, okay? Because Russia, unlike most uh, other uh, economies in the world, the only other economy that does this really is China, Russia sells more than it consumes. So they, they have extra. The only other country that does this on the up and up is the Netherlands and Norway. All the other countries in the West, every single one, they all run deficits, okay? And sometimes pretty big deficits. You know, the American deficit is extraordinarily large. And that's just the federal deficit. When you start looking at the states, the municipal debt, and agency debt, you're like, good God, I can't believe it. Your eyes start to bleed. I'm not shitting you. It's horrifying. But that's for another video, another stream. So, like, the Americans, they hit the Russians with all these sanctions, right? And then they go and grab the Russians' money. Now, I have to say that um, sometimes the Russians are very, very clever. And sometimes, for all their cynicism and sophistication and brains, they can be remarkably naive. They never thought that the Americans would steal their money. They never thought that the United States of America would take $300 billion, roughly half their excess reserves, that they had on deposit at the Federal Reserve and steal it, which is basically what the Americans did. They stole it, okay? And don't give me this shit that, oh, it's a sanctions package, and like, oh, we'll circle back on that and we'll have a little conversation, fuck that. They stole it, plain and simple. The Russians view it as a default, which is correct. See, because a bank, what is it? When you deposit money on a bank, what are you doing? You're lending your money to the bank. That's what you're doing, right? If you're the bank and I'm a customer and I take my cash and I give it to you and I put it on deposit with you, you have borrowed it from me and you have to pay me an interest, right? You pay me an interest and when you, you know, when I come calling, I say to you, give me my money back. You're like, sure, here you go. But if you don't give me my money back, well, you're in default, we always think of the customer going into default, but the bank can go into default too if it doesn't return its deposit to its rightful owner. These $300 billion, the rightful owner of that money is Russia, like it or not, and that the Americans are keeping it. That's a default. That's theft. It's simple. It's, it's because a default is often as not when the person that has the, that owes the money doesn't have it because it's bankrupt. But when they have it 
and they refuse to give it. That's theft. Okay? So the Russians, they, they can claim that it's a default, which it technically is, but I would characterize it as a theft. Because if you have the money to return and you refuse to return it, you're stealing that money. You can't look at it any other way as far as I'm concerned. And this shocked the fuck out of the Russians. I mean, they were like, what the fuck? Right? And the Americans were like, teehee, you know, sanctions, you know, and the Russians are just incredibly pissed off about that. There must have been a lot of screaming over that shit, right? I mean, that, that they didn't anticipate it and all the rest of it. And, and, you know, the poor head of the central bank, you know, some, I forget the name of the woman. She's, she's a smart woman. But, oh, man, she must have caught hell for that. Because it's, it's sort of like you should have planned for this contingency. And yet at the same time, it's such an outlandish contingency because it has never happened before in the history of finance. Did you know that during the Second World War, the Nazis had money on deposit in the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England? Yeah, they did. And the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England honored Nazi Germany's request for that money and paid off whoever had to be paid off from those funds, okay? During the fucking Second World War, yeah. This is the first time in history that this has happened, okay? That the Federal Reserve has absconded with the sovereign wealth funds of a sovereign nation. I mean, holy fucking shit. And it's, it's understandable, it's one of those blind spots that you're like, nah, this can never happen, you know? And it fucking happened, okay? So, you know, the ultimate black swan event. Anyway, financially speaking, at any rate. Anyway, so the, the Russians, man, they're, they're hopping, man. They're like fucking pissed, man. Because, see, the Russians have made up their minds about the sanctioned shit. They're gonna hit back. But they're not going to do it right away. They're going to take their time and figure out how to really hurt. Because the Americans just came down and just started clubbing the Russians over and over. Sanctions, one, two, three, more, more, more. Just hitting them as hard as they could. And the ruble took a hit, took a serious hit, right? Uh, all of a sudden, it was like 120, 140 rubles to the dollar, some shit like that. I mean, it really, you know, hit the, hit the ceiling. But, you know, over the last couple of weeks, it sort of like calmed down. Mm-hmm. Because people, investors, are starting to realize some certain fundamentals, and they're key fundamentals, okay? And those key fundamentals are very simple. The West needs Russia. Europe needs Russian gas, period. And the Americans have explored all kinds of options to find replacements to that Russian gas. And they've called up Qatar, of all people. They've talked to all kinds of people and come up with all... Hello. I'll wait for everybody to pop back in. Now, I have no idea what happened, buddy. So I'm sorry. Well, let me... uh, Oh, people are, are slowly drifting in. 13, 23 people. Oh man, I had like 6,800, 6,900 people. And now, where is Tiffany Dover? Okay, well, I'll just start rambling on like I was rambling before. I mean, I don't really give a shit if I've got, well, how many I got? I got 68 people or 6,800, doesn't matter. It's still the same, okay? And, and anybody who's interested, they'll catch up later. So anyway, the point. See, the, uh, where was I? Oh man, it's just a lot of material and a lot of stuff, 
a lot of moving parts. Right. So the Russians never thought, never in a million fucking years did they think that the Americans would grab their money the way that they did, but they did. Okay. And the Russians, well, they're thinking to themselves, well, two things. Number one, we've got the other 340 million uh, of our foreign currency reserves elsewhere. So we can support the ruble during this downtime, during this economic, you know, up and down time, right? And uh, people are showing back up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. And so we, we've got the cash reserves. I mean, the Americans stole 300 billion, 300 billion fucking dollars, man. That's fucking evil. Anyway, they stole that, but we got the other, you know, 340 billion. And we can use that to support the ruble and support our economy and get the economy, the Russian economy, through this bad patch. And what's key here, what's key, is that the Europeans still need Russian natural gas. And in fact, the uh, sanctions package cut out Russian banks from the SWIFT system, except those banks involved in payment of the natural gas from Europe. Because there is no way for the Americans or anybody, quite frankly, to replace that Russian natural gas. Okay? It's a monopsony. A single seller. Okay? Uh, uh, oh, no, no. Wait, no, a monopoly? I forget. I forget the difference between monopsony and monopoly right now. I mean, I'm, I'm like thinking about this stuff. So to remember that from my memory is too hard right now. So fuck it. But the point is that they need the Russians. They need the Russians and... The Russians, how can I put it? The Europeans need the Russians more than the Russians need the Europeans because the Russians have other potential customers for their natural gas. And the other thing too, that's key, that because of this whole energy crisis situation, the price of gas has risen. Therefore, the Russians don't actually need to produce as much to have the same income, you see? In fact, they could shut off the European gas and continue with their existing customers in South Asia and East Asia. And in terms of money coming in, they're not going to lose a dime. See, <laughs> see the beauty of the Russian situation. Huh? They did all these sanctions against the Russians and it only improved Russia's overall strategic position. Sure, the Russians took a short-term hit insofar as their, their stock market and the, the ruble, but long-term, they're sitting pretty. They're sitting more than pretty, okay? And any fool could have told you this. Hmm? But of course, the Europeans are dumber than, dumber than a sack of bricks, quite frankly. I mean, they're fucking morons, man. I mean, they're just so goddamn stupid. And so they decided that, um, you know, they're going to sanction Russia to high heaven, they're going to sanction it to a point of xenophobia and real ugly shit, you know. Um, but they're going to keep on buying Russian natural gas. And today came the announcement. Oh, boy. The announcement came from Putin. And it was sort of like predictable, but still a surprise. He said that Gazprom would no longer accept any payment except in rubles. Now, this is really a big fucking deal. Now, a lot of you are wondering, you know, how come Russia doesn't cut off its contracts with Europe, you know, pay back for sanctions, right? Well, because the Russians are very clever, like I said, and they realize that a lot of times credibility is much more important than any short-term gain. And so the Russians have over the years, decades really at this point, 
They have never failed with a long-term contract, never. They have never defaulted on a long-term gas contract, okay? During this whole invasion, you know, they are still pumping gas through Ukraine to Europe. They're still doing it, you know? And the Ukrainians aren't blowing up those gas pipelines because they need the revenue. And the Russians aren't blowing up those gas pipelines because they need the revenue and they do not want to break their contracts. I mean, they're that serious, but why? Because see, that kind of goodwill, that kind of dependability, you can't buy that except with consistency, okay? And it's it's always a smart move to just fulfill your contracts, even with the people that you hate their guts, but fulfill your contracts, which is what Gazprom has been doing, okay? And the Germans have, have uh, during this, uh, somebody made the estimate that they've paid something like three, four billion rubles, I mean, uh, euros so far. Uh, during this uh, not quite a month of conflict, you know, they, they're paying what they have to pay the Russians, you know. And so anyway, the Russians today announced that they are no longer going to accept um, payment in any currency except rubles. Now, this is really fucking interesting. And I'll explain why. Because you see, previously, the Europeans were, con- uh, the Russians rather, were content to receive euros or dollars for their payments, for their gas, uh, for their deliveries, rather, for their gas deliveries. Now, why would the Russians want euros or dollars? Well, very simple. You see, the Russians sell gas, and they go out there to the market, to the European market and the American market, and they buy goods and services from the Americans and from the Europeans. So for the Russians, it's good to have dollars. It's good to have euros. So they sell their gas for euros. And they take those euros and they buy stuff in Europe, in euros, because the sellers in Europe are only going to take euros. Of course, that's their currency. Ditto with the American dollar, right? But see, since the Russian economy has been sanctioned to death, you know, the the most uh, vicious sanctions ever imposed on any country ever, right? All of a sudden, the Russians, for all practical purposes, they can't buy anything in Europe and they can't buy anything in America. So why would they want dollars or euros? You see? They don't need dollars. They don't need euros. They're worthless to them because they can't buy stuff with those dollars and those euros because of the sanctions. See, the Americans created a wall between their economies and the Russian economies, right? But all of a sudden, the Russians have no need for dollars. What the fuck are they going to do with dollars? Nothing. Because they can't buy shit in America because of sanctions. Ditto with the euro. It's very predictable if you think of it from the point of view of the Russians and, of course, the Europeans and the Americans, because they're so fucking arrogant and self-centered, never stop to consider the position from the point of view of the Russians. So for the Russians, they're thinking, well, you know, euros, I can't buy anything with euros, dollars, I can't buy anything with dollars, but with rubles, I can buy shit here at home, so I want rubles. So Putin said, give me rubles. And all of a sudden, the Europeans are going to have to figure out a way how to get rubles. And what's that going to do to the ruble? Hmm? What do you think it's going to do? If all of a sudden major players need to find rubles to pay for this essential commodity, gas, well, obviously the 
value of the ruble is going to go up. Supply and demand, baby. You know, you can't escape supply and demand. You know, if there is the same supply of something, but all of a sudden a lot more demand for that something, in this case, rubles, the price of that something, rubles, is going to go up a lot higher. Okay? Now, of course, this isn't going to happen in one fell swoop, although it already started to happen today. But it's going to happen because, of course, these contracts, for technical reasons and, and just machinery reasons, it takes a while for these con contracts to flip over from euros to dollars. And, but it's going to happen, okay, by the end of April for sure, okay? And so what's going to happen is that Europe and the UK, they're going to have to take their euros, take their pound sterling, take their Zlotny for Poland, and go out and buy rubles. What does that mean? The ruble is going to become the reserve currency, unbelievable as that may sound. And the Europeans and the Americans who insisted on these fucking sanctions, they're the ones to blame. It's unbelievable. But what they have done, it, it's, it's so remarkable. It's something that I've never anticipated because everybody always thought that the ruble is too unstable a currency, too weak a currency. But all of a sudden, when you have major, major buyers of gas, like the Europeans, who depend on that shit, and they're going to have to go out and buy rubles, all of a sudden the ruble is going to be rock fucking solid. It's going to be like uh, like the hard-on of James Dean in those porno flicks. You know what I'm saying? The hardest fucking thing on the planet. Yeah. And it's a thing of beauty. Because you see, this is where America gets its power. The petrodollar. Because you see, in 1974, in, 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 uh, when was it? I think it was uh, July of 74. The, I, I do believe his name was William Simons. I, 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 always, I always forget the name because I had a professor called Walter Simons at, at Dartmouth. He was a great guy. We used to play squash together. He was a medieval, uh, medieval uh, European history professor. He was just a lovely man. And uh, I haven't talked to him in years, but if he's listening, hey, Walter, how's it going? And he had, his name is Walter Simons. And this secretary, uh, treasury secretary was called William Simons, I want to say. Anyway, this guy. The, the secretary, uh, Treasury Secretary under Nixon at the end of Nixon's uh, regime, he went to Saudi Arabia and cut a deal with the Saudis. And one of the most important deals in American history, quite frankly, and possibly world history, um, because the Bretton Woods system had sort of like collapsed, okay, because of uh, balance of payments issues. And so Nixon had taken the dollar off the gold standard and the dollar was cratering with inflation. It was becoming soft as... Jesus Christ, soft, soft like a like a 90 year old's dick. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Simons, this uh, Treasury Secretary, went to the Saudis and he cut a deal and it was the a brilliant deal and so simple. He guaranteed he, he told the Saudis that he guaranteed the House of Saud protection, American military protection, not Saudi Arabia, the House of Saud. OK. He guaranteed them American military protection on the condition that the Saudis would, number one, sell all their oil in dollars exclusively, and number two, take those dollars, the excess dollars that they had, and park them in U.S. Treasury bonds. And in exchange for that very simple deal, you know, sell it in dollars and park your excess dollars in Treasury bonds, the U.S. would guarantee 
the House of Assad uh, military security. And that is the basis of the petrodollar. And that is the basis of American, um, the American standard of living. Because what happens is that the rest of the world has to buy dollars in order to buy oil. You see? Because say, a country like Japan, it wants to buy oil from Saudi Arabia or whomever. Now, the dollar is the currency of oil. You need dollars to buy oil. They don't sell it to you in any other currency. They don't sell it to you in yen. And so Japan has to go out into the currency markets and buy dollars. It buys dollars. And of course, what happens when Japan buys dollars is there's demand for the dollar. And so the value of the dollar maintains or even goes up with each yen that is spent by the Japanese to buy dollars, which they need to buy the oil to fuel their industry. Do you see? And that's the mechanism. That's the petrodollar. The rest of the world demands dollars, and that maintains the value of the dollar, the demand of the rest of the world. Remember, supply and demand. If there is a demand for something, the value of that thing goes up and up and up. When there's no demand, it goes down and down and down. You know, and if you if you have a hard time thinking about this, figure the following. You know, like right now, you know, uh, you're living in a city or a suburb or wherever, and you want a glass of water. And how much do you pay for it? Nothing. You just go to the tap and just turn on the tap and fill a glass of water and drink water, right? Because, you know, there's plenty of supply and little demand. But suppose your plane crashes in the middle of the Sahara Desert and, you know, all of a sudden there's a liter of water and 10 people want to drink from it. The price of that water goes way up now, doesn't it? Yeah, of course, because everybody wants it and there's a limited supply. You see? Supply and demand. And so the rest of the world has been supporting the dollar. And because of this price support of the dollar, the U.S. federal government, as well as the state governments and the municipalities and the agencies, and the agencies of the federal government release their own debt. That's called agency debt. See, each of these different uh, um, players, they have issued debt, confident that people would buy this debt because there's so much demand for the dollar. And this is how the U.S. in general has been able to go into so much debt because there's all this demand for the dollar because everybody needs dollars to buy oil. So basically, if you think about it, and and this is a mental model, model that has proven to be very useful. Dick Cheney once famously said that deficits don't matter. And, and a lot of people were kind of like furious about it, but he was kind of right because you see, if you think about it, see, the um, Saudi Arabia and the oil producing states that sell in dollars for all intents and purposes are the 51st state of the United States. Hmm? Because think of it, their economies are integrated. They're creating a commodity and selling it in dollars as if it were like fucking California or Texas, right? They're selling it in dollars and they're parking it in treasury bonds. You see? And it's forcing everybody else to buy dollars. See? So that's what's going on. The U.S. dollar is commodity-backed, okay? And now, because of sanctions, all of a sudden, the ruble is commodity-backed. And that's the thing, you know, at the end of the day, um, commodities are all that matter. A lot of people say, well, the dollar is no longer backed by gold, which is dumb. It's a really dumb argument, right? Because what is gold? It's a commodity. What is oil? It is a commodity. What is natural gas? It's a commodity. What is wheat? It's a commodity. See, 
to have a strong currency, okay, it doesn't have to be pegged to the gold standard. Gold is actually a very small market. I, I forget the number. I do believe it's something like $50 billion in the, in the world is actually gold or more. I forget. It's not that much. I mean, you think it's a lot, but it's not. The other markets are much, much bigger. No, sorry, sorry. I think it's, uh, I think it's, Ten trillion dollars worth of gold. I forgot. Fuck it. It doesn't really matter. The, the 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 numbers of this are not as important as you understanding the model of what I'm describing. That's the thing that you have to understand. Okay. It doesn't matter the actual figures. They're just fucking huge, and they're so big that for all intents and purposes, they're meaningless. You know. I mean, once you get to enough zeros, man, do you really know what the fuck it is? No, it's just beyond the imagination, right? So anyway. Um, yeah, a trillion dollars is a million million dollars. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? Having one million million dollars. I mean, a million dollars on its own is just like a, a, an unimaginable number. A million of those, you know, it's, it's, it's fiction for all intents and purposes, but it's a fiction that comes and bites you in the ass. Like it's going to bite the Americans in the ass. Just a second. I'm going to explain. So the... Um, The dollar was backed by gold, and then it went off the gold standard. But then it went on to the oil standard, because oil was backing the dollar. You see, and this worked. This system has worked like a charm, you know, throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and into the 2020s, right? But right now, it's collapsing, and very, very quickly, and that's why you're seeing all this inflation in the United States, right? Because energy prices are going through the roof. And what happened is that, see, the sanctions package by creating this moat between the Russian economy and the Western economies, it removed the need that Russia had for dollars and euros. Because they don't need them because they don't have access to the goods and services that Europe and the United States have on offer. This is what the sanctions package did. And you see... Russia's economy, they always say, oh, it's the size of Italy. That's not accurate. Okay. In terms of purchasing power parity, which is a more accurate measure of an economy size, it's closer to Germany's. And if you start like looking into different aspects of it, or let me phrase that, if you look at the McDonald's index, okay, which is, which is a very surprisingly such a trivial item, the McDonald's index, the Big Mac index is actually one of the most precise measurements of an economy. And it's basically very simple. You just go to different countries around the world and find out what price of a far Big Mac for just the burger, because the burger is the same everywhere, but it's going to have different prices. And like Switzerland, it's like really expensive, like six uh, Swiss francs, just roughly six dollars, a little over six dollars. And in Russia, it's like a buck twenty five or something like that, or it used to be if when, when McDonald's was around. But anyway, the, the, the point remains. See, the McDonald's, the Big Mac index is actually the most precise index. In that measure, um, the ruble is profoundly undervalued and the Russian economy is much, much bigger than the West pretends it is. So anyway, uh, the point that matters is that, see, the Russian economy is big enough that the end of Russian demand for goods and services from the West is actually going to hurt the West as much as, if not more than, it'll hurt Russia. Because Russia has other places to buy the stuff that Europe and North America was selling and is no longer selling because of sanctions. 
And people say that, oh, Chinese goods are crap. That's a lie. Your fucking iPhone comes from fucking China. That's where it was built. And you don't complain about its quality now, do you? No, certainly not. It's very good quality. And made in China, look on the back. That's what it says, okay? It says, yeah, designed in California, which is just so fucking pretentious if you ask me, but it's made in fucking China. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of other shit that's made in China. And the Russians are gonna buy that shit. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna fucking need Europe or America because Europe and America decided to build this moat of sanctions, see? And so the European sellers are going to suffer. The American sellers are going to suffer. And all of a sudden, Russia says today, we are not selling gas anymore in euros or dollars because we don't fucking need euros or dollars because you're not letting us buy shit in euros or dollars. So we want fucking rubles and we want them fucking now. And in one stroke, Putin has created the petro ruble. And soon enough, it's going to be the agro ruble. Mm -hmm. Because you see, something that I didn't, I had no idea, I never thought of it until I started looking at some graphs. There was this one great graph that I saw that had like like squares of like the, the producers of grain, of wheat and barley and all the rest of it, Nas national, I mean, um, uh, by nation and by size of their export. Okay, it was just the export market. Did you know, and I had no idea about this, but did you know that between Russia Belarus, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan, those four countries, well, they account for about 40% of the global wheat export market. 40%, four zero, huh? two fifths of the global wheat market. Those four countries. Huh? I, mean, I had no idea that Kazakhstan was such a big deal in, in fucking wheat. No idea at all. I mean, I've never really paid attention to, to agricultural commodities, but there you go. And see, Kazakhstan, because of the, um, the almost color revolution of a couple of months ago, and now the very strong relationship Kazakhstan has with Russia, because the leader of Kazakhstan recognizes that were it not for Vladimir Putin and the Russians, he'd be dead, <laughs> let alone no longer a president of Kazakhstan, right? So he owes him. And Belarus, Lukashenko, he owes Putin. And Ukraine, well, the Russians are sewing up Ukraine. And don't let anybody say otherwise. And, and by the way, I've seen accounts of people saying that uh, people here in um, the Russian soldiers here, they're failing, you know, they're all supplies are shot to hell and they're suffering from frostbite and that's why they're losing. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm here, okay, in um, Kharkov. And the weather has been lovely this past week, okay? And the temperature has been, you know, like, um, uh, between like minus one on the low side and about five degrees Celsius, right? I mean, hell, I went to the supermarket yesterday and walking back, I was sweating, man. I mean, like I, and I didn't even have like a thick parka, you know, I had like a, like a thin thing, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I was kind of sweaty, you know, I mean, Jesus, you know, so it wasn't, it's not, you know, frostbite. What the fuck are you talking about? I wasn't wearing gloves as I was carrying my bags and I had to walk like a couple of kilometers, I guess, you know, it must have been like 20 minutes. Okay. I mean, you'd figure that if it was like that fucking cold, you know, my fingers would have started getting like really hurting or something. Like that. Perfectly fine. What the fuck are they talking about over there anyway? Fucking morons on Twitter. Anyway, the, the point and the serious point, these four countries are for all intents and purposes controlled by the Kremlin. The Kremlin controls the agricultural output of Russia, Kazakhstan, 
Ukraine and Belarus as a practical matter. Because, yeah, you know, we're currently with this invasion here in Ukraine, but eventually the Russians are winning. They're going to win the whole fucking thing. They're going to expel, expunge Zelensky, install their own guy, and that'll be that, okay? The Russians are going to own this fucking country, whether the West likes it or not, okay? And as a practical matter, the window of opportunity for NATO has closed. There's no way for them to show up and and it's not going to happen. I don't think so at any rate, at least now. Who knows? I mean, they're so fucking dumb, they might do it. But anyway, the point, the Russians control 40% of the world's uh, wheat export market. And in terms of barley and rye and all the other agro products, you know, and let's not talk about, you know, industrial uh, um like aluminum. Did you know, and I had no fucking idea, that Ukraine produces over 70% of the globe's needs for neon? I had no fucking idea, you know? I mean, I read that and I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to pin down where that came from because it passed by my, my feed like a meme, so I'm not sure if it's actually real, but let's assume that it is, okay? If it's real, it's like, fuck. And apparently neon is very necessary for chip production and all kinds of other shit, right? So y- you see the kinds of commodities that the Russian have, Russians have, have control over because you don't have to own something to control it. Uh, the Russians don't own Belarus, they don't own Kazakhstan, but they do control it. And they can tell Lukashenko, and they can tell the fellow in, in Kazakhstan, whose name I can never pronounce, they can tell him, hey, you know, be a pal and don't sell it to these guys, or do sell it to these other guys, see? So, what does this mean? The ruble, it's the petro ruble and the agro ruble. They are going to be, the, the ruble rather, is going to be the reserve currency of the world. And I cannot believe that it's going to happen, but it is because it's backed by these commodities, commodities that everybody needs. And I thought to myself that it was always going to be the, like the, maybe the renminbi, uh, the RNB, the, the uh, yuan or Chinese currency. I don't know why they have different names for the fucking thing, but they do. But I always thought that maybe, you know, it was the Chinese who were going to step up and have the reserve currency. But now, now that I'm seeing it, it makes complete sense. A currency backed by something physical, commodities. The whole notion of having a currency backed by gold, why? Because it's real, it's a, it's a real thing. It's a tangible thing. Mm-hmm. Well, but the dollar has been backed by a tangible thing for all these years, oil. And now the Russians with their ruble are stepping up and taking over. That's basically what's happening. And I, I'm, I have no bones about it. I'm, I'm desperate to figure out a way to get into the ruble in a big fucking way. Mm-hmm. Because I think that a lot of investors are thinking like I'm thinking and realizing, holy fucking shit, you know? The ruble of all the fucking currencies, man. I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, if somebody said like oh, the South African rand, it would have been less random. You know what I mean? But here we are, you know, it's the fucking ruble. That's going to replace the dollar as a reserve currency because everybody in the world needs natural gas. Everybody in the world needs oil. Everybody in the world needs fucking wheat. You need food. Macron in um, France is warning people that they're going to have to ration food in France. Holy fucking shit. Yeah, and the reason he's saying that is because a lot of uh, France's food comes from uh, Ukraine and Russia 
And see, the, the Ukraine planting season is coming up. And if this continues and there's no access to fertilizer and other implements necessary, gasoline, uh, necessary for food planting, you know, there isn't going to be a fucking harvest come uh, the fall. And so people are going to go fucking hungry. They're not going to go fucking hungry in Ukraine or Russia. Okay, because even with with the, the meager food that they plant, you know, it'll be enough for the home crowd. It's the export market, Europe, that's going to get fucked. So, you know, the, the, the Europeans, they fuck themselves with the gas and now they're fucking themselves with the food. And the thing is, see, if they actually go ahead and do invade and start a war with uh, Russia over Ukraine, that will definitely disrupt the, the planting season. And, and Europe will definitely not have any fucking food. Uh, uh, six months from now, and that's going to last all of next winter. And the Russians, of course, if the Europeans, NATO, decides to go to war with Russia, Europe, the Russians, you know, contracts or not, they're going to cut off the natural gas just like that. And Europe is not going to have the energy for electricity. The euro is fucking toast. Okay? I mean, they really are. And it's like a fucking train that's going off the track. Now, fuck that. It's going off a fucking cliff, man. This is all kinds of dangerous. And the Europeans, they don't seem to realize what the fuck they're doing. Or, or worse, they kind of like realize it. I mean, like Macron warning about the food shortages by the end of the year. But they're not playing it smart to avoid this fate. You know? Because they're so fucking beholden to the Americans who are fucking idiots. Well, no, they're suicidal, as the name of this uh, this live live stream uh, implies. Um, that they're following the Americans off a cliff. Now let's talk about the Americans. Hmm. See the sanctions package. You know, see the inflation was already built in the cake before fucking Putin and the, and the sanctions package, right? But it hasn't helped. The fact that the Russians, uh, the Russian oil got cut off from the States, yeah, it's only 3%, but in a tight oil market, like the American oil market, 3% can hurt you, okay? It has a disproportionate effect on prices. It's not that you cut off 3% of your oil imports and your gasoline prices at the pump go up 3%. Oh, no, no, they go up a lot more. And I said in previous videos, uh, a video that I posted a, a couple of weeks ago, I think, that, you know, in 30 to 60 days, you'd see $10 a gallon, right? Well, today, I saw a picture a guy took in California, $9 a gallon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck, man. $9 a fucking gallon in California, where, where you need a car to take a crap, for crying out loud. I mean, holy fucking shit, man. Nine dollars. I mean, like, okay, you know, you, you say this shit and you make the calculations and you you know you, you you do the back of the envelope thing and you're like, yeah, they'll they'll hit ten bucks in thirty to sixty days, you know? But it's sort of like a mathematical thing. You you know, when it actually happens, you're kinda of shocked. Even though you predicted it you like on, on on your Excel spreadsheet or whatever the fuck. When it actually happens, you're like, damn, it's happening. And I guess to me, the surprise is not only that it's happening, but it's happening so goddamn fast because I did that live stream or that short or whatever it was that I did two weeks ago. Couldn't have been more than that. And here we are, nine dollars a fucking gallon, motherfucker. 
And, and you know, the sky's the limit on this bad boy. Yeah. And here we have problems. See, the fact that the Americans stole those 300 billion that I mentioned before, right? Now, this should really scare the fuck out of you. And it scared a lot of fucking people. It scared the Saudis. Now, you got to understand, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, who's the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, I've said before, he's a smart guy. He's an incredibly smart guy, an incredibly energetic guy. And he, the only problem that I see with him is that many times he gets over his skis. He gets a little bit ahead of himself. He pulls off stunts that he's not, not quite ready to actually do and that he should be just a little bit more patient, you know? And I chalk that up to his youth. The guy is like in his late 30s, mid-30s, late 30s, something like that. I want to say 36 years old, something like that, you know? And he's as tough as they come, ruthless as they come, smart as they come, right? I mean, he's no fucking dummy, but, you know, he's got a little bit of that youthful impatience. But, and I'm, I'm saying this to lead up to what he's doing. He's exploring the possibility of selling uh, Saudi oil in Yuan, in Chinese Yuan. Now, that must scare the Americans very badly. That would mean, you know, another big, big chunk off the petrodollar because it's bad enough that the Russians are now going to start charging people, uh, obliging people rather, to pay for the natural gas in rubles. And they're going to extend this to gasoline, to, um, not gasoline, to oil as well. I mean, it's inevitable. If you're, if you're going to do it to natural gas with the European contracts of Gazprom, inevitably in a month or two, Putin is going to say, oh, we're going to do the fucking same thing with uh, oil and the same thing with agro. I mean, like I said, the, the ruble is going to be the res- world's reserve currency because Russia, with Kazakhstan, Belarus, and Ukraine in its back pocket, has a dominant position in all of the essential global commodities and everybody's going to want to buy rubles and and it's shocking like i said i mean i'm still in shock because i just realized this today Mm -hmm. i i had not really considered it and it's just thinking about it and like writing it out i'm like fuck yeah they're the reserve currency and the dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status and this is catastrophic for america because, see, if the rest of the world no longer demands dollars as much as it did before, then interest rates are going to rise. See? Well, it, it's, it, it's a little more complicated than that. Let me explain. What happens is that, see, when people don't demand dollars as much as they did before, dollar instruments, dollar assets, i.e. treasury bonds, they go down in price. As they go down in price, the yield goes up. Okay. Yield, remember, yields and prices are inversely correlated, okay? And as the price goes down and the yields go up, it costs the American government more and more money to issue debt because they have to charge a higher interest. I mean, they have to pay, rather, a higher interest for the money that they're borrowing to cover the national deficit, you see? And so as this happens, as the price of money rises, there comes a moment when... It's called the Minsky moment, when you cannot acquire enough debt to pay off the previous debt and continue operating, okay? And that Minsky moment has pretty much arrived, okay? And so the only solution for the Americans is going to be to print money. And if you thought that the printing money of QE was, you know, enormous, I mean, you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, you know, hold my beer. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the Americans have been very clever about how they've gone about printing money, because what they've done is that they have uh, told the uh, Federal Reserve, or it was Ben Bernanke's idea back in, you know, 08, what they do is that they just create money out of thin air. And they take this money that's been created out of whole cloth, and they go out into the market and they buy assets, you know, debt, bonds. They go out and buy these bonds. And by buying these bonds, they give it price support, okay? Now, back in 2008, they went out and bought MBS bonds, you know? That was the the original QE. But, you know, now they've moved into treasury bonds and and also municipal bonds and agency bonds. And so they're buying these these bonds to give them price support. Now, they have all these bonds on their balance sheet because they've created all this money out of thin air. And then in 2020 and 2021, they created even more money to finance all this, you know, the COVID pandemic lockdown bullshit, which is, it was just a fucking flu at the end of the day, you know, deadly for elderly people, but, you know, no big deal for most everybody else, you know, but spill milk. The thing is, see, the Federal Reserve is kind of like running out of options insofar as that's concerned. And they really have to taper it off and they really have to start raising interest rates because inflation is becoming a real fucking problem. And we all see it. Okay, food prices, all the rest of it. And it's not Putin. It was from before. And it was really, you know, Biden added, shoved the whole build back better thing. And that just, you know, threw gasoline on the fucking fire. Right. But it was baked in from before. It was baked in from COVID. The COVID, you know, stimulus package and all this bullshit, all the stimmy checks, all that shit. Okay. So, you know, I mean, when, when you run the credit card, eventually you're going to have to pay the credit card. And well, now here we are. We've got to pay the credit card. And when you don't have the credit card, you don't have the money to pay the credit card. What would be wonderful? Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just had this magic machine that invented money out of nothing and used it to pay off our debts? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, yeah, sure, it would be great. And for a person, for an individual, no big deal. But when it's for a whole fucking country, supposedly the biggest economy in the world, the Chinese economy is actually the biggest, but okay, we'll let it slide for now. We'll continue with this fiction that the American economy is the biggest. Well, this huge economy is broke it's broke it's over okay and well and it really really started to fall apart with the sanctions okay that that just sort of like tipped it over They really do. It's a remarkable achievement. And you have to step back and say to yourself, did these fuckers do it on purpose? Because I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, you know, is somebody that fucking lucky? You got to ask yourself, yeah, are they that fucking lucky? Or are they really fucking clever? Mm-hmm. And when you're playing for these kinds of stakes, you got to say to yourself, oh, maybe they're that fucking clever. I wouldn't put it past them because they are. They are that fucking clever. Anyway, the, the point, the Americans, have uh, put all these sanctions that is just hurting them at a moment when 
the American economy is incredibly fragile and the dollar is incredibly fragile. The petrodollar, the whole architecture that's holding up the American economy is so fucking fragile. And they went and did the sanctions packages on, on the Russians, which is hurting the European economy, certainly, and it's hurting the American economy. But then the Americans have gone and done something even fucking worse that I cannot believe they fucking did this. And what they did was that they started to impose sanctions on China. Okay. Now, why is this a big deal? See, okay, what happened? Uh, Biden had a virtual call with uh, Xi Jinping, the premier of China. And uh, Xi Jinping said, basically, you know, we're going to support Russia and we're sick and tired of you fucking with us. And Joe Biden said, we're not going to fuck with you no more. We're going to be, you know, try to be allies and try to solve everything and blah, blah, blah. And then two days later, the Americans issued sanctions against random figures in China, basically trying to arm twist the Chinese into sanctioning Russia along with Europe and America. Now, the thing is, see, as many people have explained, and the best of them all is, of course, uh, the boys from the Duran, Alex Christoforo and Alex Mercur Alexander Mercurius. Uh, the Chinese, and bottom line, there's no daylight between the Russians and the Chinese, okay? Because over the last 20 years, 25 years, the Chinese have gone out of their way to build a really, really strong relationship with the Russians because they recognize that what the Russians have in so far as commodities, in so far as high tech military technology and military ability and all kinds of other doodads and shit, the Chinese need that shit. They need to have a friendly relationship with Russia. They see Russia as the future. And the Russians have tried to make friends for years with the fucking Europeans and the Americans and the Americans and Europeans treated the Russians like shit. And so finally, they're like, fuck it, especially after 2014, they turned their attention to China found a very receptive audience. All of a sudden, they're building all kinds of bridges between the Chinese and the Russians. And it's not just at the top. People only see those meetings between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, but it's at every level. OK. It's like at the top, but also ministerial level, then under secretary or, you know, second ministers, vice ministers, you know, and the lower echelons, they're conducting joint patrols in fucking East Asia, joint air patrols. Do you have any idea how much trust you have to have in your counterpart to decide to have a joint military patrol with them? I mean, like the Russian, uh, the, the Americans and the Canadians do it in certain circumstances. The Americans and the Brits do it. But that's pretty much it. You have to have enormous trust with your counterpart to do such a thing. And the Russians and the Chinese do this regularly. And the Americans stupidly think that they can force the Chinese into breaking this relationship that the Chinese have spent a quarter century developing. You got to keep in mind that the Chinese and the Russians almost went to nuclear war in the 1960s. And so when the uh, when Russia collapsed, uh, when the Soviet Union rather collapsed in 91, you know, when when basically the Western vultures, capitalist vultures were there just feeding off the of the, the still beating heart of Russia. Right. Which is what they were doing. The Chinese offered a helping hand. The Chinese negotiated the border disputes that they'd had. And what's interesting is that the Chinese ceded a lot of ground when they didn't have to, when they were in the driver's seat. And they could have just pushed the Russians to get their way, but the Chinese were smart. The Chinese were thinking long-term. The Chinese cut all these 
uh, deals, territorial dispute deals with the Russians to end that problem, which had almost caused a nuclear war in the 60s. They ended that problem and they built a base of trust where they could work together. And the Chinese over the last 25 fucking years have been working this relationship. You think that they're gonna just throw that away because the Americans are just throwing a, a, a pissy fit? Fuck you, man. I mean, come on, wake up, right? So, the, um, the uh, you know, the, the uh, Biden talks to Xi Jinping. And then two days later, literally two days later, you know, after, after the Chinese complain that the Americans, you know, they never live up to their word. They always give them pretty words at the meetings and then later fuck them over. Well, you know, Biden gave them pretty words. And then two days later, the American administration fucked them over with these stupid ass sanctions that targeted certain people in the Chinese Communist Party. Right. And it's just the beginning of the sanctions escalation. And the whole point is to force China to sanction Russia. And see, if you want to make sure that China never does something, threaten them, okay? If you want to make sure that a Chinese person does not do something, threaten them. Say, do this or I'm going to do something to you. And I assure you, they'll never do it. They, they will, you know, walk across glass, drag themselves across glass before they do it. Threats don't work for the Chinese for cultural reasons and historical reasons that are way long. And so just take my word for it. But anybody who knows anything about China can tell you the exact same thing. Okay. Threats don't work with them. Okay. You have to placate them. You have to, you know, give them face. You have to do all kinds of other shit, but threats don't work. Punitive measures. Forget it, man. But the Americans went and did that two days after swearing that they wouldn't. Okay. Chinese are super fucking pissed, right? And the Chinese, they're no fools either. They're realizing this is just the beginning of the sanctions. The Americans are going to throw more sanctions our way. And the Chinese are thinking. And you, who are America, you should be thinking too. What's the position of the American economy? Does the American economy have a manufacturing base? No, it does not. Does the American economy uh, uh, produce and sell more than it consumes? No, it has a huge uh, trade deficit. Does the American economy um, need foreigners to buy its debt to finance itself? Oh, yeah. Oh, fucking yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. The Chinese realize how weak the Americans are. The Chinese realize that America is not only broke, but it's also completely hollowed out. See... The Americans for the last 30 years, 40, well, you could say 35 years, roughly, they started outsourcing all of their industries. And Ross Perot, he said that this day would come. Ross Perot in 92, he ran on a platform saying no more NAFTA, no more globalization, no more outsourcing industries to Vietnam and China and Costa Rica and Peru and shit like that. No, no, no. We got to protect American industry and the globalists. You know, the, the globalists, the economists who thought they knew better, people like Paul Krugman, that whole fucking crowd, right? They insisted, no, 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 globalization, no neoliberal economic policy, you know, let the, you know, no capital controls, all this good shit, right? That made people shit tons of money, but hollowed out American industrial base and turned the American economy into a service-oriented economy. 
It's hollow. And the Chinese know it. Because the Chinese, their economy, it's not fucking hollow. It's manufacturing. And they manufacture fucking everything. Everything from pig iron all the way to the fanciest fucking computer chips and shit. Mm-hmm. And and don't don't give me this shit that all their goods are like cheap plastic china crap. That's not true. I mean, a lot of it is, sure, but not all of it, okay? Not even a, 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 a substantial fraction of it, okay? Come on. Uh, let's be realistic here. If only between you and me, the Chinese are winning. And the Chinese, they know it. They feel it. Because, you know, you always know when you're winning. When you, when you got the wind at your back and you're carrying the ball and there's no defenders and you're going to get to that fucking goal. Yeah, you know. You know when you're fucking winning. The Chinese know it. And they know that the Americans are fucking hollow. There's nothing there. And so... The Americans have just started this sanctions escalator. They started yesterday. And and the Russians did this move. Putin did this move. I find it hard to believe that this move that happened today was not coordinated somehow with the Chinese. But, you know, let, let's not speculate. Let's talk about the facts. The facts. See, if the Americans continue with the sanctions regime, the sanctions escalator, as Alexander Mercurius has called it, Uh, what's going to happen is that, see, at the end of the day, the Americans are going to wind up in the exact same position that they found themselves in today with Russia, that they've cut off all trade with China, because that's what they've done. The Americans have cut off all trade, essentially, all trade with Russia, and they've demonized Russians and all this shit, right? They're going to wind up doing the exact same thing with the Chinese, but they need the Chinese because the United States doesn't manufacture any of the shit that the Chinese have. See, because insofar as commodities are concerned, like food and oil and natural gas and all that other good shit, the Americans produce it, okay? The Americans are a net food exporter, you know, and, uh, you know, say they can they can produce the food, not, not all the food. A lot of it is like corn and shit that, you know, yeah, it's great for trade, but if you if you just have to do with what you got, it's actually a fucking disaster. And there are going to be food shortages in the United States because there are lots of foods that the United States has outsourced to other countries and, and Russia is part of that whole gameplay and so you're going to you're going to see or you're going to see a lack of certain foods in the United States pretty soon and you're going to see a generalized price increase of foods. Because even though the United States is a net exporter, some of the essential foods are no longer going to be available to the United States because of these sanctions packages, you see? So even though the United States can feed itself the sanctions and, and fuel itself with OPEC oil, the sanctions package against the Russians still hurts the United States and certainly hurts the Europeans. Now, imagine what would happen if the same sanctions package is applied to the Chinese. See, the Russians have been incredibly patient, but the Chinese aren't patient. They're, they're quite the opposite. They react quickly, swiftly, and, and really harshly. Mm-hmm. The, the Russians take their time and they're like, come on, come on, come on. They, they really are like a bear, you know? You can poke a bear for quite a while before it actually just decides, you know, fuck this shit and roars at you and tries to kill you. Okay, I mean, it takes a lot to rile up the Russians, you know, but the Chinese aren't like that. You know, 
like they're the dragon. Yeah, they like, yeah. And so what's going to happen with the uh, Chinese? The Americans pulled the sanctions package bullshit. First of all, the Chinese have been studying what's been going on with the Russians. I mean, very, very closely. And because of all those multi-level contacts, they know exactly what effects the various sanctions have had on the Russian economy. So the Chinese, number one, are preparing for that eventuality that will happen to them. Number one. And number two, they're looking at how they're going to hit back at the Americans. And since the U.S. economy is hollow and the Chinese economy is not, the Americans are going to suffer like nobody's business. And you see, you have to understand something, the, the catastrophe of globalization for the United States. See, because these economies that have been hollowed out with no manufacturing base, that manufacturing base is all gone. It's not that the factories went away and that you can bring them back. No, no, no. Once they go, they're gone forever. Bringing them back means that you have to build something homegrown. And here's the, the terrible reality. The, the knowledge for a lot of these factories is gone. It's just gone. And let me tell you a story. This was on uh, one of the chans, uh, on 4chan, uh, but I, I forget if it was on Poll or some other place. But this is a story. And I, I wish I, I mean, I actually have it, have a screenshot of it somewhere in my fucking computers, but I'm not very good at filing shit. And so it's got, it's God knows where it is, but it was a great story. And I'm paraphrasing here and I'm not going to tell it very well, but I'll tell it to you. Basically, there was this uh, company like out in Boston or some shit like that, that manufactured these heart-shaped boxes, okay, for chocolates. Mm? And so what happened was that, um, you know, they, they sold for, for you know, for um, uh, Valentine's Day. The Valentine's Day was their big yearly day, right? And they worked like a charm, you know, I mean, during the year they would sell some of these boxes, but Valentine's Day, that was... So what happened was that... Um, Oh, they sold these chocolate, these boxes, these heart-shaped uh, boxes to some chocolate company, okay? And, and this company in Boston manufactured the boxes. And they had a special machine for it and special, you know, people who ran the machine and shit. Okay, so what happened was that the chocolate company decided, you know, we're not going to buy the fucking cardboard boxes anymore from the guy in Boston. We're going to buy it from the Chinese. You know, globalization and all that shit, Right. And so the um, chocolate company stopped buying the boxes from the Boston company that manufactured them. Boston company, well, the, the guy there, the owner said, well, you know, we're going to go bankrupt if we continue operating because we don't have enough um, demand. So he just told all his employees, that's it. We're going to close shop. I'm sorry, but that's that. And so he let go, everybody go and he literally closed up the whole fucking business, right? And the machine that manufactured the the boxes, well, it's useless now. What's the point of the fucking machine? So they took it apart and scrapped it and, you know, salvaged what they could, you know, got some money as best they could. And, and that was that, you know, done. Well, two months later, right, the chocolate company comes back to the guy in Boston and says, holy shit, you know, these fucking Chinese, man, they made these boxes with this fucking glue that smells, man. And lo and behold, it was true. They'd use this cheap glue, and so the boxes smelled something fucking awful. And of course, you know, the chocolate company didn't want to use these fucking Chinese boxes uh, for the chocolates. And so they tried to get the guy to make boxes again. And he's like, I can't do it. Um, you know, 
the, the people who work here, they're all gone. They went elsewhere. They're doing other things. And on top of that, the machine that I used, well, it's gone. It's scrapped. That's it, you know? And the chocolate company was like, come on, come on, come on, make it, make it. He said, no, it's going to take me three, four, five years to make that fucking machine again and, you know, ramp up again, you know? Tough titty, said the kitty. It's over. That's the American economy. See? If the United States goes ahead with this uh, sanctions war, that it's it started yesterday and it's not going to stop. They're going to keep on escalating. The United States will all of a sudden find itself without any Chinese good. And in America, they don't produce shit. They don't. Oh, they'll produce some cars and some fucking fighter jets, maybe. But like, you know, they don't produce fucking iPhones. Hmm? And look at all the goods that you have in your home. Look on the back in the small letter. What does it say? It says made in China. Start looking up all the stuff that you got, your TV, your phone, your whatever the fuck. Yeah, the F-22 Raptor or whatever the fuck plane is made by Lockheed Martin in like, I don't know where the fuck, right? But that's fucking it. All the shit that you need on a daily basis is made in fucking China. And the American uh, regime, the Biden regime, just declared war, economic war on China. And the Chinese are perfectly aware of this shit. And they're not going to take it too kindly. And they know exactly what the fucking Americans are doing. They're going to start escalating the fucking sanctions. Uh, just like they did with the Russians. Just like they did with Iran. And the, the crazy thing is that the Americans keep doing this shit. And they actually think that the you know sanctions are going to do fucking shit. To change the behavior of these countries. To make them act in a way that the Americans are happier with. And it doesn't. It does the exact opposite. You know, the funniest thing about these fucking sanctions that they hit with the, the Russians, I'm going to do actually a, a short video about this. You see, who gets affected by all these sanctions? Like, for instance, you know, they cut off like Facebook and Instagram and all this shit. Who gets affected by that shit in Russia? The people who are most pro-Western. They're the ones who use all that shit. And now that they can't use it, that they've been punished because they're Russian. What do you think all those Russians are thinking? They're thinking, fuck the West. The, the Americans, the West, are antagonizing precisely the group of people who would be opposed to Vladimir Putin's war. Antagonize those people so much that right now, uh, uh, polls in Russia put popular support for Vladimir Putin at fucking 75% and higher. That's the truth. Even the people who are against Vladimir Putin are saying these fucking Americans, these fucking Europeans who are fucking us over and not letting us use our fucking Instagram and Facebook and iPhones and shit like that. These cocksuckers, fuck them. I'm with Putin. That's what they're saying. Hmm? And what the fuck you think is going to happen when the Americans do these sanctions to the fucking Chinese? Huh? You think they're going to like it or not? No, they're going to not like it. And they're going to cut off trade. And they're going to stop buying treasury bonds. So in the United States, if this sanctions escalator continues, which it will, because these stupid motherfuckers don't have a reverse gear. 
They're so arrogant and conceited, they can't admit to the fact that they've made a mistake. And so since they can't admit to the fact that they've made a mistake, they can't go back on their stupid decisions. They keep on doubling down. And so they just imposed uh, sanctions on the Chinese. They're going to impose more sanctions and more sanctions and more and more and more. And finally, the Chinese are going to say, fuck you, cocksuckers. We are not going to sell you shit. We're not going to take dollars. Only you want. Fuck you. That's what the Chinese are going to say. Just like the Russians just said it to the Europeans. The, Euro the Russians said to the Europeans, fuck your euros, give me rubles. When this happens with the Chinese, not if, when, which I think is going to be before the end of the year, um, the American economy is going to suffer. I mean, if you thought that the Great Depression was bad, you ain't seen nothing. A hole might be your bad, buddy, you know, like that. This is a catastrophe. And the United States is committing suicide. The United States is committing financial suicide. I mean, look, everything that I've talked to you about here, it doesn't involve any nuclear weapons or any war or nothing. It's, it's just economics. Just by way of economy and the stupid sanctions, this addiction to sanctions, because it makes the stupid American politicians and the people in the Biden administration feel virtuous, like they're doing something. And they're only hurting themselves. It's this, it's like I said in the, in the, in the, um, in the thumbnail, you know, do what I want or I'll shoot. What the fuck, man? This is what America is doing. And it's the stupid, incompetent leadership that the United States has. It's so arrogant. It doesn't look at the world the way the world sees itself. It doesn't put themselves in the shoes of the other guy. Hmm? The ruble is going to become the world's global reserve currency because it is backed by commodities. And the Chinese are going to fuck over the American economy. And it's just going to completely collapse. And I, I, when I say when it's going to completely collapse, it, it's not that you're not going to be able to buy iPhones, okay? It's going to be like 50% unemployment. It, it, it's going to be, I'm telling you, and it's going to happen, okay? And you have to, the thing you have to pay attention to, and, and I mean, so that you, you see that it's coming, is watch the Biden administration or whoever replaces Biden, because it looks like Biden is going to be shoved aside pretty soon. The fact that the Hunter Biden thing was, was uh, um, confirmed by the New York Times leads me to conclude that the establishment have realized that they have to get rid of Biden and put somebody new. But the problem is that who, who are they going to put? You know, Kamala Harris is a fucking moron. You know, they're going to have to replace her, too, or, or really puppeteer her so that, you know, she does what they want her to do. I don't know about that. But anyway, the point is they're, they're getting rid of, rid of uh, Joe Biden. And so whoever is there, well, you got to see what sanctions they continue to impose on China. See, you got you to gotta focus on that. Pay attention to the sanctions that they put on China and pay attention to the response of China to these sanctions. Because they're not going to be fucking happy. They're not. And they're going to lash out. And they're going to put uh, sanctions of their own. Uh, how many people are? 6,500. Way to go. Yeah, very happy. You know, I, I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, let, let's see if, you've, if you guys are enjoying this. Uh, hit me with a um, okay if you're enjoying it. 
hit me with a um, minus one if you're not. And if you're really enjoying it, just put a row of nines. Yeah, three arbitrary things that will. Uh, if you're really enjoying it, a row of nines. If it's you're just enjoying it, put OK. And if you think it sucks, just put minus one. I'll wait for you guys to catch up. Um, oh, people say that it's the Kazarians. Do you hear me disagreeing? Hmm. Wait, this is taking a long time. Nobody's saying anything. <laughs> yeah, bye bye, Brandon. Anyway, so how long have I I've been going? Well, on the other one, I was going for like at least half an hour. I think it was like 45 minutes. And here I've gone 65 minutes. So I'm going to end it here. Um, but I want you to understand what's what's going on. The, um, the United States is committing suicide. See, it's not military. It, it's, it's abusing a structure that took many decades to build. And the people in positions of leadership are abusing the superstructure. And they think that even if they abuse it, it'll still stand. And they don't realize how fragile it actually is. It's fragile because they've allowed it to be so weakened over the decades. And there's no way to, in, in a practical sense, there's no way to fix this. It's, it's over, okay? And it's only gonna accelerate. And it's gonna make a lot of people in the United States panic. It's over for the United States. It's, I mean, I'm not saying it's over for the dollar. No, I'm saying it's over for America. It's over, okay? And we're seeing the outlines of how that's happening. When I did that video back in October, you know, leave the West while you still can, basically I had a sense that this was coming, okay? I, I couldn't quite believe it was happening this fast, but it is happening this fast. And it's collapsing and there's no way to stop it. There's nothing that the United States could do right now. If there was like some brilliant dictator who took over the whole fucking thing in the United States and started trying to impose a new system or, or fix the system, keep it up, right? It's too late. And you know what the biggest problem is? And, and I'm, I'm, I, I, it, um, I hate to say it because it's taken me, uh, um, I haven't wanted to face this reality, but when I was growing up in the 70s, um, I grew up in a little house uh, on Delco Avenue in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, around us, there were like really decent people, you know, uh, Americans. And we were, you know, a little Latino family, right? But uh, both of my parents spoke perfect English because they'd grown, grown up, I mean, they spent a lot of time in England and learned English there. And... Um, and I remember, you know, going to weekend barbecues at the neighbors' houses and whatever. And there was like, there was this one guy who was like a, a policeman, LAPD, and he was the nicest guy, nicest fellow imaginable. And I used to play with his daughter, and uh, I, I was, you know, four years old, five years old, something like that. And I had a wonderful time. I had a big wheel, you know, and go around the neighborhood with the with the friends. It was just fantastic. You know, it was it was, it really was the golden state. And like I said, there was this uh, this neighbor who was a policeman. There was this uh, retired neighbor. I remember. I remember he was like a tall fellow. Um, and you know, all the people there. You know, I mean, I, I don't remember like 
that specific, but I remember they were all like salt of the earth people, hardworking people, decent people, middle class people, you know. And um, they never harmed anybody. They'd always, you know, they were very clear on their values, on, on what was right, what was wrong, what was acceptable, and what was not acceptable. And, you know, growing up, I always had that, that sense that that's America. That's America. Just decent, hardworking people, you know. And now I look at America and they're decadent and degenerate. Or else they're whiny little bitches, quite frankly. I look at the soldiers who came here, right? Um, I mean, who came to Ukraine, right? And all just Reddit warriors and pathetic little bitches. I mean, real pussies. You know, they came here. They didn't even get a little kick in the pants, man. And they're like freaking out and like all scared. I mean, I, I have to admit, I, I was like, is this the youth today of America? They seem like whiny little bitches, man, because they are, you know, where's the air cover? I, I, there was one guy who was like bitching about that. They didn't even sound the alarms when the missiles came. It's a fucking war, motherfucker. Come on. And I, I just I just look at the youth today in America. I think to myself, would I want to raise a child in America today? with crazy teachers, purple-haired teachers with tattoos and, and face rings and shit like that, teaching them that, you know, there are infinite number of genders to little three-year-olds or little, you know, third graders or whatever the fuck. No, 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 nothing to do with that. And I realized that the United States has just decayed. And it's not just the system, it's the people. It's the people. They're decadent and degenerate. They're hedonistic and they're afraid of everything. Well, I mean, they're pathetic. They are. Even the soldiers are pathetic. And I have to admit, I've said this in other opportunities, that you know, seeing this war and how the Russians are fighting it and how the Americans would have fought it, the Americans would have just, just fucking destroyed everything, right? And, and I realized that the Americans' way of war is just immoral. But, okay, that's another conversation. Looking at the American people today, they're just like whiny bitches, over entitled, you know, thinking that the rest of the world has to conform to their notions of what's right and wrong. And they get hysterical over every little fucking thing. And you can blame it on social media, you can blame it on this, that, the other, but bottom line, this happens to every great empire. It peaks out. And I realize now that when I was growing up, that was pretty much the peak in the early 70s, you know, late 60s. Um, I mean, I actually tend to think that the peak of America was probably around the early 60s. You know, in 64 might have been the peak peak. And since then, yeah, I mean, if I had to peg it, I'd say the demolition of Penn Station. That was the peak. The day before they started demolishing that station, which is so beautiful, you know, that was the peak. And then it's just been, and it's accelerating. See, that's the thing. That's the tragedy. It's accelerating. And when you see the people who are running things now, and, you know, look at Jen Psaki. I mean, can he, she compare to Teddy Sorensen, for instance? Oh, well, you don't know who Teddy Sorensen is. He was the uh, press secretary for uh, John Kennedy. Mm -hmm. I can, um, you know, 
can uh, Jake Sullivan compare to George McBundy? Hmm? Again, George McBundy was a, a, a national security advisor back in the 60s. You know? Or George Kennan, hmm? the architect of the whole Cold War, who basically created a, uh, uh, a geopolitical architecture, architecture that ensured that there would not be a nuclear war and that would ultimately end in the collapse of the Soviet Union painlessly without a shot being fired. Hmm? I mean, that kind of statesman doesn't exist today. And the only guy who seems to know what the fuck he's doing right now is, is Vladimir Putin, number one, top. I mean, he clearly knows what the fuck he's doing. And um, Xi Jinping is not really a close second, but he's a second. I mean, respectable second, right? But after that, there's nobody. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Macron had his moment that he could have stepped up, but but, you know, it's just so pathetic. And the Americans, you know, the more they realize that they're slipping, the more desperate they become, the more they panic, the more they lash out. And that's the great fear that I have. Because America is collapsing because the American people are degenerate, decadent, weak, disgusting. Look at the women with all their fucking tattoos and that horrible shit. You know, all, all that tattoos all over the place. And they look like I don't know. They, they, they look degenerate. Just looking at them, they look degenerate. And God alone knows how many sexual partners that they have had. And look at the men staring at video games all day, just gelded by video screens. I mean, wh where are those men going to defend anything at all? Nothing. And the thing is, see, it's understandable because they have nothing to defend. Because there's not, nothing worth defending in the United States anymore. It's a broken empire. It's over. Okay? And as it collapses, we are seeing the collapse. And you look at the people, and that tells you all you need to know. The people, they're all fat and slovenly. They don't take care of their appearances because they don't have anything to look forward to. They don't have anything that, that they aspire to. Just eating fucking junk food, you know, like machines and getting fat and pathetic, you know, slathered in grease. Hmm? I mean, Nicocado Avocado, that, that fat guy who does shows about eating food, that's popular, man. What the fuck you think that is? That's a sign of decadence, you know, okay? Decadence in the, in the literal sense of just decadence of decay. And so the great fear for the rest of the world, certainly for me, is that the people running America will, in desperation and panic, if they lose some battle in, in some pointless war that they start, which I think is going to be with the Chinese, if they lose out, that they'll decide to use nuclear weapons. That's my great fear. You know? Oh, you sunk one of our carriers. Well, we're going we're gonna to stick you with a nuclear weapon. Well, just the one. You know, just we're just to show you that we're tough, you know, and, and it's going to be sort of like, you know, we're just going to slip it in, slide it in, you know, just the tip, just to see how it feels kind of thing. And the Chinese aren't going to take too kindly to that. And they're going to go whole hog. They're going to go ape shit. Of course they are. I mean, come on. If somebody nukes any fucking thing, what the fuck you think the Chinese are going to do? Huh? I mean, I think that the Russians are clever enough to escape that trap. 
and and they're doing moves that's just scaring off the American military that the military the American military doesn't want to engage because they realize they get their asses handed to them and and so they realize we can't fuck with the Russians but they're going to think oh but we can fuck with the Chinese because the Chinese they're weak and we've got our aircraft carriers and shit they don't seem to realize or want to realize that the Chinese are dreaming of the day when they can get to sink an aircraft carrier, an American aircraft carrier, because they will never forget the uh, the humiliation in the late late nineties when Bill Clinton had his had one of the air, uh, aircraft uh, carrier groups go up and down uh, the Taiwan Strait. The Chinese viewed it as a fuck you to their face. They'll never forgive the United States for that. If they're still bitching and moaning about NATO accidentally dropping a bomb on their embassy in Belgrade, when that happened 25 fucking years ago or 20, no, 23 years ago, you know, and it's just a fucking embassy, right? And it was an accident, a clear accident. Do you think that they're going to forget? about the humiliation of the Americans parading their aircraft carrier in front of their own fucking coast at 40 miles away or wherever the fuck it was. That is something the Chinese, they have their fucking dignity, man. They're never going to forgive that shit. They're going to sink a carrier when the war with China comes. And if they sink a carrier or two or three, what do you think the Americans are going to do? Do you think the Americans are going to take kindly to that shit? Do you think that the Americans in fear and panic and desperation might not drop a nuke on the Chinese? And when that happens, all bets are off. All bets are off, man. You you have no idea how that shit's going to end, you know? It's just so heartbreaking, you know? Because like I said, I grew up in this golden era in California. California was the golden state. It really was. I remember driving down these wide open freeways and they were brand new, like the 405. And I remember going up north to San Francisco on this endless fucking drive. When you're five years old, you know, a five hour drive is an eternity, right? And I remember going up, you know, on this endless drive and, and just like, we got to San Francisco and it was so beautiful and just lovely. And it just felt vibrant and alive. And now it's just decadent, degenerate. I always think of that trans woman who looked like a demon reading children's books to a classroom full of kids and the kids staring up at this demon looking thing, horrified, innately horrified. And we're supposed to think that that's great, that that's inclusive, that that's just fucking peachy keen. What the fuck, man? So anyway, the tragedy for me, I suppose, is that I'm going to see, I'm watching, you know, as the um, the empire collapses. This is going to be the year. This is it. And it's happening. And I hope I've given you an explanation as to how it's happening and what you should pay attention to. Pay attention to the sanctions. That's what you have to pay attention to. The more sanctions, the, the closer the United States is to the abyss. And then there's going to be a war breaking out with China over Taiwan because the Americans are going to double down and double down and double down. And finally, they're going to recognize Taiwan as an independent country, which is the Chinese red line. Chinese are going to go ape shit, And that's when the war starts. And I'm betting right now, and this is just idle speculation, but 
When the Americans say that they are going to recognize Taiwan as an independent country, I suspect that the Chinese are going to launch a preemptive surprise attack on whichever aircraft carrier is closest and sink it, sink it or them. Yeah, that, that's my suspicion. You know, I, it's what I'd do if I were them. Okay. And uh, yeah, but you, you, you watch the, the trigger is going to be that the Americans recognize Taiwan as an independent country, the only democracy in the in the east or whatever the fuck they're gonna whatever stupid ass excuse they're gonna come up with and that's gonna trigger the war and the americans will lose and it's not that they're gonna just lose the war it's going to be the collapse of the whole fucking thing yeah and it's going to be uh dark ages for america assuming of course there's no nuclear war because after if the, there's a nuclear war man america's gonna go like mad max man it's it's gonna be fucking nothing right but Assuming there's no nuclear war, the United States is going to go through a dark ages that's going to last a century. It's over in America. You got to understand that. It's it's over. Mm-hmm. And and this thing with Putin, trivial though it seems, it's the nail in the coffin. It's it. This is it. I mean, you can feel it. Yeah. So anyway, there's nothing more for more for me to tell you. I hope you enjoyed the show. So anyway, that's the uh, that's the guy I wanted to let you guys hear his uh, take on things. You know, when all this goes down, it's going to be important to have food storage and other supplies. But God told me to warn you to leave the cities in the populated areas. If you have security in your food storage, 
your food storage is going to kill you. Because there is no place that you will be able to run from this. You will end up in rags, wandering in the mountains, trying to escape the destruction that is coming. Or you might just end up being maggot food. Which, you know, isn't the end of your existence. You'll go on. You just won't be part of Zion's redemption. So for you, for those of you who refuse to listen to me, uh, I'll give you some advice. What I would do if I were you. If you're not going to listen to me, this is what I would do if I were you. Take all your food storage and all your supplies when all this happens to your ward. Put it in the cultural hall. Bring some twin-sized beds or whatever. Live in the church. If all of you who are in, so say you have three wards in a building and everyone brings their food storage if they have any. You know, people who don't have anything, tough luck. You know, take their kids, but tell them, look, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to go look for food. You bring something back, maybe we'll let you stay. Take care of your kids. Or you can just take your kids with you. Whatever you need to do, but you're an adult. You've been told to get food storage for years and years and years, and you didn't listen. Tough luck. But those of you who do have food storage, I would get it in the cultural halls. I would use the church for a a place to live. All of the men can can uh, you know defend the church. I really wouldn't stay in your homes. You know, being being in your home, you'll just be uh, picked off one by one by the uh, the gangs of hungry individuals who will kill and steal without a second thought. As I've studied history, I have seen what people do when they're pushed to the limit. Heck, it doesn't even have to be that big of a push. 
People are wicked as hell. You have no idea. Just because they're kind of nice to you when there's nothing on the line doesn't mean that they aren't underlying exceedingly wicked. And just because you are nice to your friends and your family doesn't mean you're not wicked. When the shit goes down, what are you going to do to survive? What are the other things that I would do if I were you? Is I would stop eating food. Drink water. Go on a fast. I have been on two 30-day fasts in my life. After the third day, you're not that hungry anymore. By the fourth day, there's a little bit of hunger, but it's not bad. Now, you won't have a whole lot of energy, but you'll be fine. Let your stomach shrink and then start eating a little bit of food, broth, bone broth, and work back up to eating a little bit so that you can have energy to go forward, but not eating all your food. When I started eating again after my 30-day fast, I could eat half or a quarter of a of a kid's meal sandwich at Wendy's or McDonald's and be completely stuffed. You know, don't make your kids do these fasts, though. They're not made for it. They need that food. If you're doing a ton of work, then you're going to need food. But if you are watching the kids and you're not doing a lot of physical labor, you need to stop eating. Get past the point where you're hungry and then just start eating a little bit after your stomach has shrank. Your food storage will only give you a little bit of time to figure out what's really going on. The dreams and visions of the collapse of the United States they say that England will try to come over and try to to stop all the violence and it'll be like they are trying to conquer the United States because of all the factions and all the violence. They just won't be successful. You know, and I don't know what to tell you except for 
in 2016, God, our Father, specifically commanded me to leave Spanish Fork, Utah, and to warn everyone to leave the cities and the populated areas and to gather to Emory County. And then later he told me that when it gets too dangerous to remain where he has placed me, to go to a specific place which he has shown me. which is in the desert places, which is exactly where Isaiah saw the remnant go to and exactly where Isaiah saw Zion being born in the wilderness. There are three other individuals besides myself Kevin Krauts received the same testimony from God and instruction on where, not specifically to gather to, but somewhere close to the same area, but he wasn't given specifics. I was. Eugene Richardson was told to go to the same area when everything falls apart, but he wasn't given specifics. But I was. And then Kevin knows another man, I don't know him, who got the same revelation. God our Father told all four of us that when things got bad, that we needed to go northwest of Lake Powell. Those other three, they were given a general area. I was given a specific. I know exactly where we're going. And it is not easy to get to. But we'll be safe there. Anyway, I know we're in overdrive and we're not going to be taking any phone calls. But I just want you to be aware of what's really going on. This guy's giving you information that's beyond the propaganda. He's stripping all the fat away from it and just giving you the bare bones of what's going on. It amazes me that so many conservatives don't trust the media on so many things, and then as soon as they start talking about this war, everybody quotes the media. Well, the New York Times said this. Oh, these guys said that. Why do you trust them? You know, when Isaiah saw the drunkards of Ephraim, I think he was looking at all of Western society. 
not a specific church. I could be wrong about that, but I just, I just, I feel like all of Western society is the drunkards of Ephraim. They're so drunk on the on Babylon the Great. They're so deluded. They can't see the truth. And it's sad. Anyway, well, that's the end of the program. I'm just going to stop it at this point. No music. I think it's time for you to ponder what you're going to do with this information. I hope you make correct decisions. Thank you for listening.